Whoa, wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Johnson trying to drive the goal. Besser effort for Pedersen. He scores! Elias Pedersen completes the comeback for the Canucks. Since we mentioned Chicago, yep, that's a team. If I was them, I'd be looking at Kuzmenko. Purdy pressured. Purdy throws. Caught by Brandon Ayuk. us in the first half, not going to lie. Brock Purdy going, going to his first Super Bowl. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer. Today, we are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. They pay the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Uh, Kintech. Yep. We have a massive, massive show. We have so much to get into. This year's Super Bowl is set. The Vancouver Canucks had a stirring comeback. They left it all out on the ice before the cool guys got to go to Cabo and the other guys have to go to Toronto. Yeah, those loser all-stars. <laughs> a bunch of losers. No vacation for you. Uh, we got a bunch of guests we need to get to. We got a lot of stuff we have to do. So, guest list today, 6.30, David Amber, Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet, NHL host. Uh, he was working this weekend as the Canucks put together their stirring comeback victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets on Saturday. We'll talk to David about that at 6.30. 7.30, Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger. The Super Bowl is set, ladies and gentlemen. It is the San Francisco 49ers against Taylor Swift and the Kansas City Chiefs. If you're thinking, hey, this sounds familiar, this feels familiar, you're not wrong. It's a Super Bowl rematch of four years ago, 2020, when Jimmy Garoppolo was at quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. Now it's Brock Purdy. Patrick Mahomes is still there for the Chiefs, so we'll talk to Mike Tanier about that at 7.30. 8 o'clock, Randeep Janda. Color analyst right here on Sportsnet 650 for your Vancouver Canucks. Uh, we'll look back on the weekend that was. Uh, Randeep's also going to Toronto for the All-Star Game, so we'll talk to him about that as well. Uh, no gifts today. No prizes. No nothing. I'm sorry. We're okay? the gift. We are the gift. It keeps on giving every day until this, they take us off the air. Is this a punishment to the listeners? Whether you like it or not. Yeah. Did they Which do something wrong? No. There's just no Canucks games. There's no Canuck home games for a while because the Canucks have this big all-star break, and then right when they start playing, it's like a five-game road trip. Right back on the road. So we have nothing to give you except our love. <laughs> and respect? It's all uh, we have. Well, more love, less hey, respect. Maybe, Dun- not, maybe not respect. Done, but still, I want you all, I demand you to send what we learns in because you can still be on the radio. It's your chance to be on the air. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Get your What We Learns in now. Start right now. What did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports? Hashtag it WWL. We'll read them at the end of the show. It's your chance to so, be on the radio. So I had to play two hockey games this weekend. Two and I, hockeys. And I also had to coach two hockey games. So four hockey games. I learned... I'm kind of sick of hockey. Do we have to talk about it? To, um, we can skip over it. Skip over the hockey? We can like, go right nothing important happened. Yeah, no, I'm kind of yeah. tired of hockey. We can go right to the FA Cup if you want. I'm sure <laughs> our listeners will want to know about that. Anyway, on the guest list, working in reverse, 8 o'clock, it's Randeep Janda, 7.30, it's Mike Tannier, 6.30, it's David Amber. That's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.com. 
CA. With all due respect to the big football game on Sunday, February 11th, we're going to put the Super Bowl and the finalists on the back half here. We got to start with the Vancouver Canucks and a scintillating comeback over the Columbus Blue Jackets on Saturday. Brock Besser scores a hat trick. That's 30 goal scorer Brock Besser to you. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks came back from three down in the third period to extend their point streak to 11 games and to go into the break on a high note, a 5-4 overtime win against Columbus. Before we get to Jason, I just want to play the audio of Elias Pettersson scoring the game winner with 59 seconds left in overtime. Here's our man, Brendan Batchelor. The last highlight we're going to hear from the Canucks for a while, Petey, game winner, overtime against Columbus on Saturday. Around Johnson, trying to drive the goal, Besser in front for Pedersen, he scores! Elias Pedersen completes the comeback for the Canucks. It's his second of the game, 27th of the season. Vancouver trailed 4-1 after 40 minutes, but they're headed to the All-Star break on an 11-game point streak. They beat the Blue Jackets 5-4. to four. The winning goal from Elias Pedersen. So one of my hockey games was on Saturday evening. One and of your four hockey games. When it started, uh, the Canucks were down 4-1. to one. So I watched the first period at home, and then when I was driving to the rink, uh, I was listening to Brendan Batchelor call how the Canucks were in the second period and making all sorts of mistakes, and the Blue Jackets were scoring. And then when I finally got ready to go out on the ice, it was 4-1 to one for Columbus, so I was like, I'm not that upset about missing this game. Then we come back in the dressing room, and somebody looks at their phone and starts laughing. And I'm like, I know, I know what happened. You know exactly I know. I, like, happened. I didn't think, I didn't think they were laughing because it was like Blue Jackets nine, Canucks one. I knew the Canucks had come back and won. And as you mentioned, what a great way to go into the All Star break when it could have been pretty demoralizing with two straight home losses to non playoff teams. Of course, they had lost to the St. Louis Blues in somewhat controversial fashion uh, the game before. Uh, the Canucks ended up getting nine out of a possible ten points on their five-game homestand, and that followed a very successful road trip. Um, the Canucks did not play a perfect game against Columbus, uh, but they were easily the best team in two of the three periods, and overall they were the best team. A bunch of mistakes nearly cost them, killed them in the second, but... When you're having the season the Canucks are having, I imagine you gain a belief in your ability to win games in multiple ways. And we've seen the Canucks uh, come back in games. We've seen them win high-scoring games like the Columbus game. And we've seen them win low-scoring games. We've seen them do this a lot, take a lead into the third period, protect that lead, and win the game. Um, We've seen it all season that this is a resilient group uh, just because they lose one game or even two games doesn't mean they're going to go into a slump. Um, the way they found a way against Columbus was by drawing penalties. And Lafferty, Garland, and Miller all drew penalties to give the Canucks power play, power plays. And, of course, the key to, to, to having the power play is to actually score on the power play. And the sure. Canucks scored on all three. Um, the PK also came through. And... Even though Tyler Myers was penalized in a controversial manner, which we can talk about if you want, but I'm almost glad that the Canucks ended up with a five-minute major on that play because it was great to see a penalty kill getting the job done in such such a big way. You know, they could have sat there and cried, woe is me, you know, the referees are out to get us or whatever. No, just... Just kill the penalty, and they killed the penalty, got it to overtime, and Petey was able to win. So many storylines came out of that game. Uh, Brock Besser, as you mentioned, got his 30th of the season, the first time he's ever scored that many. As his dream season continues, Quinn Hughes, the captain, had three assists and played almost 30 minutes on the night. The exact number was 29-20, emptying the tanks right before the break. Um, and they they needed him because Myers would Myers couldn't play much, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, Petey had a much needed big night with two goals and an assist, including the game winning goal in overtime. He had a giveaway on the Jackets' first goal, and I'm sure the knives would have been out for him if the Canucks hadn't staged that comeback. 
Um, so I think the Canucks might have found something with Suter on that line with very Miller. Interest, very interesting. With very Miller interesting. and Besser. Now the attention turns to whether or not the Canucks can find a better running mate for Petey. And I think that's going to be the focus um, of our show or one of the focuses, main focuses of our show uh, until Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford start making some trades. Yeah, I thought um, I, th- I thought it was kind of interesting. I was almost joking with a couple of friends of mine. Not even joking, really, just full on joking about you know the Canucks need to find new adventurous ways to win games, and they need to start experimenting with things. So how about spotting the uh, opposition a fairly significant lead, and then daring yourself to come back? And that's the stage. It's amazing that we're here that we can joke, but not really joke that this is the stage that the Canucks are at in their evolution. Where yeah, if you happen to go down four one in the playoffs, you now know. All you need is three power plays early in the third period to get back in it. Well, especially if they play Columbus in the Stanley Cup final. You know, and you get Elvis Merzlikens in there. And uh, it was, (laughs) look, for entertainment value's sake, because the Canucks are quite comfortable. And as mentioned, they have now an 11-game point streak going on. I suppose, suppose you can live with a 20-minute frame where you're playing with your food, which is really what it was in the second period because the mistakes were pretty egregious. You mentioned the Patterson one. Miller had a, a very egregious um, oh, mis- man, they look checked out. I, I was there. Those first two periods, it's like they're already on See, the game. See, the first the two periods. The first period, period they, they dominated. They yeah, dominated. they just didn't yeah. score. They didn't look. They just didn't look. They didn't They didn't meet the Andy Cole eye no, test. No, they didn't yeah. look uh, a lot of it really was, captivated, I guess. A lot of it was the Bluger line in the first period. Yeah, they I were the best say. line. Because if you're willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, which I am at this stage of the game, you could say it's the last game before the break. They were, you know, aside from squandering a point against St. Louis, they were almost perfect on this homestand. I think a lot of guys had the old, like, Cabo on three, one, two, three. They were ready to go. Oh, that's what it looked game, like. Right? And then the third period, like, I guess we got to win now. And I, the, the ability and a lot of it, I mean, almost all of it has to do with Quinn Hughes. I know there's other players on the team, but there's one guy where you can just be, just throw him the puck. Just be like, you know what? We're down. We need you to make things make happen. happen. <laughs> it's not unlike watching Lamar Jackson run around when he needs, but with better results, uh, when you just need something to happen. Mm. And Quinn Hughes, just especially when he's on, on the man advantage, is he so dynamic and it's oh, there's a relentlessness to him and to the team, and he seems to the energy seems to lift the rest of the guys. Very impressive performance in the third, and then of course in overtime to close it out. Now everyone gets to go on to vacation happy. Uh, unfortunately for the guys that have to go to Toronto and slog that out, but they got a few days off before they have to go do that. So um, we, now we should probably talk about either uh, football or Kuzmenko. I think we should play some audio um, from Fridge. This yeah. is the most recent thirty-two thoughts, um, and we're just going to play it. Here's Fridge on Kuzmenko. By the way, Chicago, since we mentioned Chicago, mm-hmm. yep. that's a team, if I was them, I'd be looking at Kuzmenko. It's funny, too, because I always think Kuzmenko, if they're going to move off of him in Vancouver, he's going to end up with the Islanders. I thought Nashville for a while, but Chicago, mm-hmm. like, they, they cannot score. And Chicago's in a situation now where they're signing guys, as long as they don't last longer than two years, and he's got only one more year. Yeah, like that you know, but like they are—they're tough to watch without Bedard there. Um, they play hard. I'm not going to knock it. They—they they do play hard, but they—they, they, you know, Markstrom was having a game on Saturday night. They could have given them 40 breakaways, and they weren't going to score For on sure. him. Um, yep. But you know, you got to entertain. You got to try to score some goals. Kuzmenko is a guy I'd be looking at if I was if I was the Blackhawks, and they've already done a deal for Beauvillier, right? So uh, it's it, you yeah. know th- th- those guys can deal with each other. Forgot so about, we, forgot about old Beauvillier. Yeah, we had a conversation a while back about how the Canucks would trade Kuzmenko. Um, you know, cap space is obviously at a pre, uh, you know at a minimum in the NHL, but there are teams with cap space, and there are teams with needs for the Blackhawks. One thing that might look attractive to them is that Kuzmenko has a year left on his contract. So it's not just bringing in a guy, um, you know, for the rest of the season, which would be, I don't know how useful that would be in Chicago. This season's already shot. And in some ways they probably want to stay in the Celebrini sweepstakes. So, but with Kuzmenko having that other year on the deal, um, you know, they got to put together a better team 
for next year, and maybe that helps them a little bit. What would the Canucks um, get back though for Kuzmenko? That, that, yeah, it's interesting. Probably not much. I'm like, Probably not would, much. I just they don't seem like a trade partner. That well, makes a lot of sense for a team that wants to go on a cup run. Well, well, I mean, are you expecting a, a big return? No, Kuzmenko? no. But I'm just yeah. saying, what would the Blackhawks offer that could help? It's well, the, the Blackhawks right Black yeah. might yeah. the Blackhawks might actually be in a situation. No, I don't think it would be like that. It would be the Canucks would clear cap space and then they do a deal. A with deal with somebody else. else. Yeah, yeah. 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 chessboard. Yeah, that's fair. Like, that's fair. Like if I was the Blackhawks, I'd be like, oh, you need to move this guy. Actually, you're going to sweeten the pot for us, right? Because. Um, you know, we're not desperate for Kuzmenko. Sure, it's a little embarrassing that we can't score right now, but we're not a very good hockey team. So that, and the Canucks might balk at that. They might just be like, nah, I think you're pretty embarrassed that you can't score and you need a guy like Kuzmenko, so we want something back. So what it looks like, I I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what the, what the return looks like? Um, I do wonder, though, if the Canucks will use this sizable break that they've got, they don't play again until February 6th. It's January 29th. So February 6th is the following Tuesday. Will they use this break to get some business done? Um, I imagine we'll probably hear some reports about Pedersen, um, and he's going to get asked about it in Toronto. Um, we'll hear if PD wants to talk contract this makes sense as a time to do that um he has been pretty consistent in saying we'll do it next season but or some in the off season but his reps have said that yeah it's possible to talk contracts so we'll see maybe he's gonna have a meeting with his agent uh at the very least and we'll see if alvin and rutherford start making some trades so we can talk about all of this later on in the show i do think that we should get to um, the NFL story in mm-hmm. what happened because the games were compelling. Um, there was heartbreak in both games, heartbreak, frustration, anger, but also jubilation for two teams, the Kansas City uh, Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers, who will meet in the Super Bowl two weeks from now in Vegas. So the Niners with a thrilling comeback victory in the second of two championship games yesterday. And that was before the defending champion, the Kansas city chiefs uh, won the first of the two conference championship games. Chiefs beat the Ravens 17 to 10 Niners beat the lions 34 to 31 to set up a rematch of super bowl 54. You got to go all the way back to 2020 for the rematch. This is now the fourth time in five years that the Kansas city chiefs led by Patrick Mahomes are back in the title game in the previous three Mahomes, Kelsey and company. Andy Reid went two and one and there were a ton of, a ton of very controversial decisions made in both of the games over the weekend. In the first game, in what I thought was going to dominate headlines, the decisions were a complete lack of discipline from the Baltimore Ravens. Never, ever in a game of that magnitude have I seen a team come so completely unglued in such a variety of ways. It was shocking, to put it mildly. When your defense can go out and hold Patrick Mahomes to 17 points, you think, hey, They had a pretty good shot of winning this game, except when we shoot ourselves in the foot repeatedly. And they had all the bad penalties. They had them on offense. They had them on defense. They made so many stupid mistakes. They did it at the beginning of the game, the middle of the game, and at the end of the game. It was ridiculous. My favorite was when they were trying to go offside, which you just just step offside. Instead... Uh, they take an unnecessary roughness penalty, which cost him 15 yards instead of five. I mean, it was just one of those days where you were wondering what the Ravens were thinking, if they were thinking at all. So I don't know if you saw the pregame stuff. Pregame got heated. Travis Kelsey kind of swiped Justin Tucker's kicking gear away out of his warm-up space. And then the two teams were jawing at each other. <laughs> and it just felt like Baltimore just lost its head ahead of the game and could never get it back. Because that was the story. I know that the Chiefs deserve credit. They deserve a lot of credit. For going on the road throughout these playoffs and winning games and doing what they had to do to get back to the title game. But I look at that game and I'm saying, I don't understand how a team can become so completely unglued on that big of a stage and across the board, right? Mm -hmm. Zay Flowers with a taunting penalty and a fumble. Two Two roughing the passer calls on Mahomes that were completely unnecessary, way late, didn't need to happen. Kyle Van Noy getting, like, basically lured into a taunting penalty, or sorry, a um, um, 
whatever the personal foul on Travis Kelsey. Yeah. And Travis Kelsey just like laughing because he knew that he drew it from him, mm-hmm. right? Roquan Smith, you mentioned at the end of the game, the unnecessary roughness foul when all he had to do was jump offside. It was just so dumb. But then the second game happened. And the biggest, most controversial, most questionable decision of the weekend was Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions leading 24 to 10 early in the third quarter. Got a chance for a 45-yard field goal on fourth and two. But instead of kicking the field goal to go up 27 to 10, Dan Campbell and the Lions decided to go for it like they have all year long. Mm -hmm. Let's not play it safe. Let's go for the jugular, except they missed the jugular. And, and they, they hit the, hit failed their own. to they yeah they basically hit their own they failed to convert and then whether you believe in momentum or not and whether you believe in the football gods or not something something changed I can't explain it I know it might sound stupid and I might be living in you know bad karma and juju and what have you but that game changed in three particular plays when they didn't go when they didn't kick the field goal to go up twenty seven to ten. And then they had the interception on the 51-yard bomb to Brandon Ayuk that went off a Detroit Lions helmet and into the hands of Ayuk. And then the Jamar Gibbs, uh, Jameer Gibbs fumble happened. But everything started with Dan Campbell Lions not kicking the field goal to go up 27-10. I'm going to play the audio from Campbell now because a lot of people were asking, why? Why did you decide to do this? What went into your decision to go for it on fourth so- and two as opposed to kicking? In the third quarter. So if you're going to play the audio, I think you're going to play. This is actually him explaining uh, the second time he went for it on fourth down, and that also failed. Mm-hmm. Two fourth down decisions that were critical in the second half. Neither one was converted. Um, you know, particularly the second one. Why? Why not take a, a field goal there and maybe stem the bleeding a little bit? Yeah, I just felt really good about us converting and. Uh, Getting our momentum and and not letting them play long ball. Um, you know they were bleeding the clock out. That's what they do. Um, and I wanted to get the upper hand back. Um, you know, and it's easy hindsight, and I get it. You know, um, I get that. But I don't regret those decisions. And that's hard. You know, it's hard because you know they didn't. We didn't come through. It wasn't able to to work out. But I just, I don't, I don't. And I understand the scrutiny I'll get. That's part of the gig, man. Um, but you know, we just, just didn't work out. So um, we've been down this road before, especially in baseball, when teams have a way of going about their business oftentimes it involves analytics and it gets them places it gets them to big games and then the analytics demand that they play in the same way and it doesn't pay off for them and they look like idiots basically and we've seen this happen to the Jays we've seen it happen to the Tampa Bay Rays Um, and now in football we've seen it to the Detroit Lions and it's uh it go the the debate goes around and around right you know sure. you, you could start with the defense of Dan Campbell and say listen like everyone was praising Dan Campbell the guy with uh, you know like the the guts to to go for it and he he's brought that attitude to a team that dad that that badly needed some swagger and he got the Detroit Lions to uh, in an NFC title game, he he won them a playoff game. In fact, he won them too. You know, they, so they get to this moment, and all of a sudden, you're supposed to 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 change your ways. But then, you know, you've got the argument, which frankly, I'm on. Um, like, what are you out of your mind? You, you had a chance to to make it a a 17 point game with a field goal. That's a three score game. Kick the field goal. Don't don't give the San Francisco 49ers who have a great defense. Don't give a team like that life. Don't get just just kick the field goal and make it a 17, 17 point game. Well, the, the key thing here is if you want to talk about analytics and math, if you go up twenty seven to ten, Jason, how many points are you up by? Seventeen. How many scores is that? Three. If you go up thirty one to ten, how many points is that, Jason? 21. How many scores is that? Three. So either way, you're up three scores. That is the math that I have a hard time wrapping my head around with Dan Campbell. 
Yeah. And I, I don't even know if the analytics would have leaned towards going for it on fourth down in that instance, because either way, the 49ers are going to need to possess the ball at a minimum three times. Yeah. To even Now, granted, they could take the lead with that third one, but the point remains, you're still putting the onus on the 49ers to get the football back three times and to put the points on the board three separate now, times. There's no guarantee they made the field goal. Well, that's true. That's that. That's something. Forty-five that comes yarder so, in so, good weather. So, you listen, got a good chance. We can go around in circles on this debate. Um, most of the time, people just pick a side, and you know, some people are like, you know, if you're criticizing Dan Campbell in that situation, then you're criticizing all the big gambles that he made to get the Lions in that situation. Not even big gambles. I don't want to make it sound like like there was method to his madness, but he just played unconventionally to made decisions unconventionally, something that we haven't really gotten used to in, in football completely yet. Um, But you know, when I, when I saw the, in the moment, in the moment when he made that decision to not kick the field goal, I was sitting there going, "Mm, man, okay. I hope this works out for you because that's a 17 point lead. So we'll talk about this. A lot more uh, with Mike Tannier at 7.30 in the uh, in hour two. Uh, any texts or comments that you can have or you, or that you have, send into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. David Amber will join us next to talk a little hockey on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Six thirty-three on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. Pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle. You get paid. Visit them at eleven seventy Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. No, wait. To the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning hotline we go. That's right. We got a hotline sponsor. Not a big deal. Did you know the hotline is brought to you by Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning? The first call. The only call. But we make a second call. And the most important call. It goes out to David Amber, Hockey Night Canada, Sportsnet NHL host. He joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, David. How are you? I'm on the hotline, baby. How are how you guys doing? Uh, we are well. How did you enjoy watching the Vancouver Canucks and their scintillating comeback on Saturday night over the Columbus Blue Jackets? <laughs> That's pretty wild. I, I, you knew it wasn't over. I mean, I earlier this season, I did a Toronto-Columbus game, and it was 5 nothing Columbus heading into the third. 5 nothing, and it was not even that close. And uh, we knew Columbus struggled in the third. The Leafs actually scored five goals in the third. They lost in overtime. Uh, but the, the idea, of, we almost had that like, miracle on Manchester moment again. It was pretty wild. So you knew it wasn't over. Um, the, the thing about this Canucks team, you guys have seen it all year. They don't need five chances to score a goal. They need one good opportunity, especially when you can have, you know, trigger guys like Besser and, and Pedersen on the flank straight a power play. So uh, it didn't shock me. It was just sort of another chapter in what's been a fantastic run for this team so far this year. Okay, so you've seen comebacks before, but I think you can agree with me. What none of us have ever seen is uh, one guy getting a major penalty, and then when they go to review that major penalty, they decide to give the major penalty to a totally different guy, which I didn't think was part of the rule book, but hey, what do I know? Um, What did you think when you were seeing that evolve in real time, and did you get any decent explanation as to what happened on the Tyler Myers-Ian Cole incident in the third period? Well, I know social media blew up. Uh, You know, I saw a lot of people, specifically, you know, Vancouver-located people saying, that's not, you know, they're breaking the rules, the refs can't go and start scouting around for other penalties when they're reviewing a play, which is absolutely true. So I was a little bit surprised by the whole thing. Um, You know, and it's weird because, you know, the Myers hit wasn't good. He got fined. I get it. Uh, You know, Cole kind of buried a guy in the numbers, and that could have been called too. So 
the whole thing's funny. If I'm a Vancouver fan, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit upset of how it transpired, but I also thought, you know, they could have maybe even called both guys for something, not, not a double major or anything like that, but it could have gone either way. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I'm glad that the game won't be marked by that because Vancouver came back and won, but it was a very peculiar situation. It also, you know, made me think, and I didn't get an explanation for it, but it also made me think back to last year's team. What was the number one embarrassment of the Canucks last year? Their, pe- their penalty kill. Yep. Historically bad. It just shows you how far leaps and bounds this team has come, personnel-wise, structure-wise. To kill off a five-man, uh, five-minute, a five-minute power play, uh, you know, they had one shot on goal through those five minutes. I think Fantilli basically from the blue line, you know, a mercy, you know, a, a hail mary type shot. They didn't really have an essentially a scoring chance in five minutes. So, uh, quite honestly, I thought that was maybe the most impressive part of the whole third period in the comeback. It wasn't the goal scored on the power play, but it was the fact they were able to hold off a five-minute power play or penalty kill on their own, which was pretty pretty cool considering where this team was a year ago. So, David, um, Elias Pettersson is one of many Canucks headed to the All-Star game in Toronto this week. Is there any way that PD is going to be able to uh, juke and jive and escape the media questions about his contract status with the Canucks? (laughs) Probably not. I mean, there'll be a lot of opportunity for some of the East Coast-based media to, to have a chance to have a mic in front of them for the very first time. They do media day on Thursday. There'll be podiums for all the players. Pedersen will get up on the podium. Someone early on in the scrum will say, hey, what about your contract? He'll deflect it or ignore it or, or say next question. And that'll be that is, is how I assume it'll go. Uh, you know, there's enough good storylines with how the Canucks are playing, with the fact he's there with four of his teammates and his head coach. You know, there's an, enough other storylines to drive whatever narrative there is. It's not just strictly... You know, what's with the contract? What's with the contract? And quite frankly, there probably isn't an update right now. Uh, you know, it'll 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 get hammered out in, in due time, I imagine. But I don't imagine we're going to see any news breaking in the next three to four days. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but, yeah, funny things happen, though. I mean, remember last year at the All-Star break, it was Bo Horvat. You know, uh, what was he traded the day before the All-Star game? Right, right, that. right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Like, and people are like, which jersey is he going to wear? Which, which, yeah. 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 Like, so things do happen. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we will see how it breaks down. I, I, he'll get asked about it, but it's not going to take over any great narrative. It's not going to be the overwhelming storyline that comes out of here. We've never seen a team with five players and a coach represented in, in an All-Star game ever. It's the greatest representation by one franchise in an NHL All-Star game we've seen. We've seen five players before, but that was, that was back in like 2000 with the Colorado Avalanche. So it's been 20-plus it's been years since we've seen this type of uh, representation. I think that'll be a bigger storyline. And, you know, and where guys like Petey get drafted. That's right. right? Like if Quinn, Hughes, if Quinn Hughes gets the first pick, they're doing a draw to see who gets the first pick. If Quinn Hughes gets the first pick, is it Pedersen? Is it Miller? Is it Besser? Like, he's got some options. Or is it someone else, right? That'd be Maybe funny. Off the board. That'd be funny if he went off the board. Yeah. Well, that almost is an easier thing to do. Yeah. Because it's almost like you're choosing friends in a way. If you, if you oh, well, we're taking Miller, that old Besser and Pedersen are probably going, oh, that's, what's that about, right? If you go, okay, I'm, I'm taking, whatever, I'm taking, you know, Dreisaitl or whoever. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, off the top of my head, I got to get available. Is Dreisaitl the assistant with the game? I don't even remember. I, I I have no idea what the all-star rules are even, so I, I'll, be per, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'll, I'll try and enjoy the draft. Um, we'll see what they do with the new skills competition, which sounds, right, I suppose, right. promising. And then, I, I don't know, I, I, I'm not a big all-star guy, but um, it is right, right. like, it, it, I mean, it's a, it's a heck of a story that... Um, yeah. Five Canucks plus their head coach are going. Don't get me wrong, but as for the actual, you know, festivities, I, I don't know. The, the, the right. NHL has to do a better job of bringing me back to these games, and I don't know if it's possible because I loved them when I was a kid, and then you know, I, I was brought back a little bit when they went to three on three because it looked like there was some effort, but then it kind of regressed back to very slow hockey, which I don't really want to watch. So. But it, it's very interesting. It's funny in Vancouver, the two most pressing questions um, that will get a, a lot of discussion over this break because the Canucks aren't playing, they both revolve around Pedersen. The one is the obvious one with the contract situation, but the other is who is he going to play with? 
because the lotto line has been broken up, and I don't think mm-hmm. that it's really the line that Rick Tockett wants to go with. So it leaves Petey with Kuzmenko and Mikheyev, and neither of those guys are killing it this year. So I wonder how much legwork is going to be done by Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine to find a running mate for Pedersen that is better than what they've currently got. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, listen, the the track record of Jim Rutherford is very good. He is a man of action, and he doesn't wait for the marketplace. He creates the marketplace. So it's funny. We talked about, oh, you know, Pedersen's contract. I would be less surprised if there's a trade of some sort in the next 72 hours. This is probably a good time to do business if you're a GM, right? Teams aren't playing. Your sole focus could be on improving your team. Certain teams are finding their way out of the playoff race or seeing the, the writing on the wall. Uh, and maybe the marketplace is opening up a little bit. So, yeah, I, that's a really good, it's a good problem to have because it's like Dreisaitl and McDavid. You have that, you know, you have the, the nuclear option of adding those two guys on, putting those two guys together on the line, which we've actually seen Chris Knobloch's done a little bit in the last, you know, few games. And we saw what, what happened the last time they played together, McDavid four points, Dreisaitl three points, et cetera. Or you keep them apart and you, you make the other team spread out their defensive responsibilities. So it's not a bad problem to have. And if you're going to add another top six forward, which seems to be all the indications, and Jim Rutherford's a man of action, and Patrick Alvin's track record uh, since he's been with the Canucks is pretty damn good as well. So you guys should have probably a little bit of faith. They have an, uh, someone targeted or a couple guys targeted, and they're going to see what it's going to cost and take. And uh, it could be very different options for Rick Tockett as they move forward through the season. We're speaking to David Amber, Sportsnet, Hockey Night in Canada, NHL host here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers, David, are they ever going to lose a hockey game again? I say this not just because they've won 16 in a row, but uh, they haven't allowed more than two goals in their past 14. They've outscored their opponents a cool 61-24 to 24 over the 16-game winning streak. So it's not that they're just winning. They're doing it in rather dominant fashion. I know they come out of the break with a three-game set. I believe they go Vegas, Anaheim, and Los Angeles. So not easy. you got to go on the road. But I just try and understand how they're doing this and then wonder if they're going to lose anytime soon. Well, they're one off the record. And that first Tuesday back, Tuesday, February 6th, they're in Vegas. And to me, to me, that's the one. Um, they're not, to me, they're, they're not going to tie the record. They're either going to fall one short and lose to Vegas, or they're going to set the record. I don't see them tied to the NHL record with two days rest heading into Anaheim and losing to the Anaheim Ducks. I just don't see it happening. So uh, at this point, I'm not betting against the Oilers. And I think you brought up the most important point is they're not winning these crazy track meet games. They have locked it down. Stuart Skinner looks a lot like the all-star from a year ago, not like the Stuart Skinner in October and early November. He looks a lot like that guy. The defense in front of him has been much better. Um, Guys have grown over the course of this year. DeHarnay has provided sort of that pillar. uh, You know, he's not their number one defensive. He's not their number two defensive, but he's been that guy you can count on and rely on. And he does a lot of the dirty things you need done in front of the net. Um, You know, not dissimilar to the way Zadorov or or Tyler Myers, right? This big body who could, you know, be a physical presence. So they have a lot of things going for them right now and they have balanced scoring and they've got mojo happening um, like we haven't seen in the NHL in a long time. So I, I think they're going to set the record. I think they'll probably beat Vegas. That's going to be the tough one, though, because, you know, guys coming out of all-star break, you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, you heard Rick Tockett kind of give a stern warning to his players. Hey, go have fun. Go be with family. Go be with friends. Go be with your girlfriend, whatever. But you better do what you need to do over the course of these 10 days. We're not going to take a step back because you've had a 10-day break. So I'm, I'm wondering if the messaging was the same from Chris Knobloch. You have professionals like Drysdale and McDavid, so they're going to be locked in and ready, even though they're going to be enjoying All-Star Weekend. Um, I'm, that's the one game. That's the one game I kind of look at the Vegas game and go, could there be a, a slight hiccup here coming out of All-Star break? But the team looks so focused right now, and I think as much as they downplay this, uh, like, do they care that much about the record? I don't think they're hanging their whole season on it, but at the same time, you know, Connor McDavid's a competitor. If he wants to go down and say we have the greatest winning streak in NHL history, I think it's just cool for these guys. They're, they've come this far, 
Uh, they're certainly aware of it, and it's like, we have the opportunity to do it. Let's do it. Meanwhile, in the other uh, NHL city in Alberta, things are not as good. Um, the last five games for the Calgary Flames, lost to Toronto, lost to Edmonton, lost to St. Louis, lost to Columbus, barely beat Chicago, one nothing on Saturday. I feel like I ask you this every week, but I'm going to keep asking you this. Um, <laughs> when are the Flames going to start selling? Well, you, you do ask me every week, and I probably give the same boring answer every week. I don't know. I mean, now maybe this – I remember being on the show a couple of weeks ago. We talked about this, and I said, well, they have the six-game homestand. Let's see what happens. And you just rattled off what the six-game homestand was all about. They went two and four. That's not good enough, right? And they were winnable games. You know, you mentioned the teams they played. So, uh, you know, had they gotten four and two and had four more points than they do right now, we'd be they'd be sitting one point out of a out of a, a playoff spot, and it's a different argument. Now they've got to climb past four teams – uh, you know, it's made it a bit more clear to me what the decision-making process will be for Craig Conroy. And again, whenever I've been on set and I've asked the same question to our analysts, they say, look, he's not going to, he obviously doesn't want to lose players for nothing. They don't want to have another Johnny Gaudreau situation. You can't have Hannah Fantan, Evan Lindholm leave at the end of this year and you made the playoffs and you made it even, even win around. We'll even give them that. But it's not going to be worth having those three guys just walk away. They need to have you know, either sign long-term or moved understood what the expectations are, where they fit in and, and get some prospects, get some NHL caliber players, get some draft picks or whatever you can get back in return. Um, so I think they, again, hold sort of the key. When we, when we look towards March 8th, the, the, you know, three of the big names out there are those three names. And, you know, you can even throw Jacob Markstrom's name in there, depending on what you you read and listen to. It's like, Hmm, that's interesting. They do have three goalies and that's another chip, possibly to play, whether it's Markstrom or whether it's Dan Vladar. So they could be very, very, you know, they could be that sort of important team leading up to March 8th. I think now when you're, when you're this many teams and this many points out, it's a lot easier to say to your fan base uh, and to sell it to the media and everyone else like, Hey, we, we need to be sellers here. David, this was great. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do it. As always, we really appreciate it. Enjoy all the all-star festivities. We'll do this again next week. I hope you guys are watching 3 o'clock Pacific on Thursday. I'll be hosting the um, the, the player draft. I can't mm. wait to see how these go. I'll be hosting alongside John Boutagras at ESPN, and we look forward to it. It should be a lot of fun. Are the are the players going to drink before? Because I think that's a real key, <laughs> I think that's a real key to it. I was told it's going to be an alcohol treat after early evening here, and I kind of chuckled that we were on an NHL call. They say, yeah, we're, we're not expecting a lot of booze there. I'm like, well, you better change that. Point. Oh, that sounds boring. Yeah. Okay. Good luck, David. Good Appreciate luck, David. it, bud. Thank you. Thanks, folks. Have a great weekend. Uh, David Amber, Hockey Night Canada, Sportsnet NHL host here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So earlier in the show, I asked the question, will the Canucks use this break to get some business done? Um, Maybe we'll hear if Petey wants to talk contract or not. Probably not. And we'll see if Alvin and Rutherford start making some trades or at least, I'm sure that it's already started, the talks laying more groundwork to make some trades. Um, Just to set it out, for you, the Canucks don't play again until February 6th, which is next Tuesday when they're in Carolina to kick off a five-game road trip that also runs through Boston, Detroit, Washington, and Chicago. Maybe they just leave Kuzmenko in, in Chicago, as right. Fried alluded to. Maybe the Blackhawks should be interested in Kuzmenko. They call it the Windy City, Andre. Uh, yeah, you'll love it here. Um, your hair might get a little more messed up, though. Uh, the trade deadline isn't until March 8th, so that's five weeks away, right before the Canucks kick off a whopping nine-game homestand. So there is still lots of time to make moves, although it wouldn't be a bad idea to get that business done as soon as possible. I always think that you want to get new players into the team as soon as you possibly can. Um, If you wait to the trade deadline, you'll still have like 15, 16, 17 games to do it. But Mm -hmm. I think the more time that you have to experiment, the better. Um, But some teams just might not be ready. Like I could see... I could see Calgary or Pittsburgh. I could see them waiting right until the trade deadline because they're sitting there going, well, we want to see if we could maybe make the playoffs. Sure. Um, so will Calgary start selling soon? Who knows? That's up to Craig Conroy. Uh, what about the Penguins who still just cannot seem to get it done? 
if I was in Kyle Dubas's shoes, you know, I would discuss. I would have some talks with Gensel's agent. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to resign that guy. So the question for him is, how good is my team? Mm-hmm. Can my team make the playoffs? And can my team go on a run? Or do I need to sell off Gensel and think about the future, um, both long term and short term? Um, a future without Jake Gensel. If I'm Kyle Dubas, I, j- I just want to wait a little bit longer and see if this group can get it together. Uh, Trey, the Gulf Island ferry worker, writes, and I'm glad you wrote this, Trey, because I did indeed see a little bit of uh, scuttlebutt. Trey writes, has anyone brought up the idea of Tyler Toffoli prevent- potentially being a trade target for the Canucks? So the deal on Toffoli is this. He's in the last of a four-year, $17 million deal. Very, very affordable cap hit at $4.25 million. Uh, does not have any sort of no trade or no movement clause. And the really interesting thing here is that not only are the New Jersey Devils six points out of a playoff spot at the time of airing here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, they're absolutely ravaged by injury. Right? They got Dougie Hamilton on IR, Thomas Nosek, Jonas Siegenthaler, uh, Jack Hughes is out with an injury, Brendan Smith is out, My uh, Eric Halla is out. So they've got a lot of guys on the shelf. They have not gotten the goaltending, nor have they solved it. I do wonder if this is one of those years where progress is not always linear for a team on the rise. Sometimes it happens where things transpire against you. And if you look at this team, you do wonder... Is Toffoli long-term for them? Mm -hmm. Is he going to be a guy that they're going to focus on re-signing? And if he's not, do they say, hey, look, this year didn't go our way. Uh, Jack missed a ton of time. Losing Dougie Hamilton was a massive blow. It just didn't go our way because we had so many injuries. We're going to try and salvage this situation. I don't know if it's a fit. I don't know if you can get the band back together again. I don't know if it'll work. But it's interesting to throw it out there in the context of, what other teams are going to declare themselves sellers or what other teams are going to say, hey, look, maybe the playoffs aren't as realistic as we thought they once were. Let's start moving to what can we recoup from this lost season? Uh, Mark in White Rock texts in to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, I'm surprised more isn't being said about Mikheyev. He's not a second-line player on a contending team. He belongs on the fourth line. Petey needs two new wingers. Not just one. Yeah, Mikheyev is not doing a whole heck of a lot out there. Um, And if you look at his ice time this season compared to last season, last season he averaged almost 17 minutes per game. This season it's down over two minutes in average ice time, down to 14 39. Some of that might be special teams related. I haven't gone into the numbers that much, but yeah, he hasn't been doing that much. And I think we all were hopeful that Mikheyev was going to recover from his injury and be an impactful player. And I think that's the key word there, impactful. Mm -hmm. But even if he's doing some good things out there that aren't making a lot of noise, you know he's not doing a lot of big things out there, and 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 I I have time for Mark's argument, but I think Kuzmenko is the guy that we hear about the most, and Kuzmenko is the guy that if you were to ask Rick Tockett, who are you going to trust in the playoffs if you could have a choice between two guys, is it Mikheyev or is it Kuzmenko? I think the answer is an obvious. McKay. 100%. McKay hasn't been a healthy scratch yet. No. I also have not heard Tockett be critical of McKay's play once this season, I don't think. I mean, my automatic recall on postgame Tockett. Has he been asked about him, though? (laughs) You know, but I mean, look, I think there have been pointed criticisms of lines and of units and of groupings and of pairings that have come. Uh, unprompted. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of them are mostly like, "What did you think about this guy's play? What did you think about that mm-hmm. guy's play?" But I ha- that to me that would always be the sort of first first indication that something may be amiss is if the head coach will bring it up publicly. Now, again, you bring up a good point. Maybe he hasn't been asked about it. I see the criticisms of Mikhaev coming in on a regular basis into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. I kind of tend to push back because I think Mikhaev is done what he's supposed to do. Like he's kind of come as advertised and let's not forget 
he is playing in the first season of coming off a torn ACL in which he played on it for half of a season before finally getting shut down. So, so maybe he shouldn't be with one of the most important players on the Canucks. Now online, I'll say that that right? is, that is a valid um, critique of the deployment mm-hmm. is maybe he shouldn't be riding shotgun alongside Pedersen. But in, when you talk about Kuzmenko in that same vein, I think you're saying, well, cause Kuzmenko's not ha- holding up his end of the bargain. I think Mikheyev is, I think he might just be, as you mentioned, miscast uh, as a top line winger. Trancer and Harm wrote a good article in the athletic about the ideal trade deadline for the Canucks and I and I really liked what they brought up in the article is that you can't just get a guy like for PD who's just like a finisher or something like that like you really want to get a play driver a guy that can help PD move the puck from one end of the ice to the other um, and I think that's one of the issues we're seeing with Mikheyev and Kuzmenko those guys aren't really doing that Um now, the problem with that is it's hard to find those guys, right? It's hard to find play drivers. And they kind of explained what they meant by a play driver. And that's just, again, a guy that they made a they made a comparison to Connor Garland with the Bluger-Joshua line. And, you know, like we all know that's the engine that makes that line go. Not to take anything away from Bluger and Joshua, sure. but a lot of the times it's Garland doing the dirty work. Um, I do wonder sometimes if Tockett has considered bringing Garland up to play with Petey, but he probably doesn't want to break up that line. So if you can get another player like that, but again, it's expensive um, and those players are rare, that's going to be the ideal fit. It's not just someone to be like someone to, you know, finish Petey's passes or even just a, like a kind of like a playmaker on that line. You need to get a guy that can help Petey move the puck from one end of the ice and then get it set up. So easier said than done. Uh, We've got an open segment on the other side before we talk with Mike Tannier. So send in your questions or comments into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. We'll read and discuss them on the other side of the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I'm on the hotline, baby. I'm on the hotline, baby. 